Has anybody heard of the Olympic? Anybody? You have. You've heard of the Olympic, the ship? Yes? Do you know what its sister ship's name is? No. Does anybody know what the sister ship, a maritime person? There's another one. The Titanic. So if I just go to the next slide, I'll try and do that here. The Titanic. I was actually disappointed when we saw some of this stuff. You might be able to just read that. All the things that we saw in this museum were from the Olympic and the little captions kept reading, this one is just like what was on the Titanic. <laughs> this, this thing at the bottom of the staircase is just like the one that was on the Titanic. I think it was 1932 they retired the Olympic and they actually stripped it out and refurbished it or did something, but they kept all this memorabilia for it to say this is exact, and it was exactly the same builder just a year later. Everything was exactly the same, but it wasn't the real deal. I want to talk a little bit about that today too. So the uh, museum that we went to was in Southampton in England, Southampton in the UK. Now, those two top photos aren't mine. You can tell that because most days in the UK that we spent in England, it was gloomy. It was raining. It was cold and wet. So these are photos that I found on the net. The only one that is mine is the centre one. And, you know, in the town of, or the city of Southampton, sorry, can the children, I've got a little worksheet for the children that Michelle's got up the back. Now, what age group, James, up to? Up to 12? Okay. Children, if you're under 12, Michelle's got um, some worksheets for you, okay? And I'll give you some clues as we go today. All right? Now, in the town of South, Southampton, maybe I misunderstood, maybe I'm only just getting it now. This was like a memorial to Southampton's loss. They lost about 540 people, mainly crew. And you can see that map on the floor in the bottom left-hand corner. That's the city of Southampton, a map, and every one of those dots represents a life lost from that city. Now, can you imagine... Even Gladstone, the same size. I think um, Southampton's roughly the same size as Gladstone now. But can you imagine way back in 1912, the amount of people that would have lived in that city, and they lost 540 people from that city. When we walked in there, it was like, it was like a sad memorial. You know, this is, this is these four crew members, and we're going to follow their lives right through the museum, and we did. But it was a time of, there was a wall with all the, all the um, passenger names and all the crew names. There were some photos. It was a memorial almost to the, town, uh, to the city of Southampton rather than a memorial for the Titanic. And it just, it, it felt, I guess it felt a little bit sad as, as we were walking through. Now, children, have you got, have they got their worksheets? Okay, who can spot the difference in this next one? Oops, I'm going the wrong way. Who can spot the difference between these two ships? These two ships were exactly the same. The Olympic, the Titanic. The Olympic sailed 1911 on its maiden voyage. The Titanic sailed on its maiden voyage in 1912. And then later on, I think it was the Britannic that um, sailed a couple of years later, all built by the same builders in um, Belfast in Ireland was the RMS Titanic, which stood for the Royal Mail Service because it had a contract. But 
I want to talk to you today particularly about the pride of this ship, the builders, the engineers, even the captain, everybody that had anything to do with this ship had this pride that it was unsinkable. I'll just read that little, that little caption down the bottom there. Um, that was on a brochure from the White Star Line in 1910, I think it was. And it says, it, it, it was the, the fourth page of, the, of the, last, the last page of four on this brochure, and it said, the foregoing particulars apply, of course, to the Titanic as well, and this steamer should take water, uh, take to the water approximately a few months after the launch of her sister ship, Olympic. It is anticipated that the latter will make her maiden voyage to New York about July 1911, and as far as it is possible to do so, these two wonderful ships are designed to be unsinkable. They had big doors with electric clutches on them that were able to be um, somebody up in the bridge, the captain, if they needed to be shut, they could keep the ship afloat. They said that they could flood, or two, two compartments, two complete compartments in the ship could be flooded and it wouldn't sink. What happened to the Titanic? It sunk. Now, can anybody under 12 with your worksheet, you've got a little picture there, can you see the difference? There's a, a, a slight difference between these two ships. Anybody? At the end with your worksheet, you can go to Mrs. Jack and she will give you a chocolate. But is, has anybody under 12 already picked out the difference? There's a slight difference in those two ships. Anybody? You'll, get a, you'll actually get an extra prize for that one. Anybody under 12? <laughs> Mum, did you tell him? <laughs> Elijah, do you know what the difference is? Can you see it? There's a rope connected to the, to the boat. Oh, no, that's not it. Sorry. There's a rope. There's different boats there too beside them. Can anybody under, under 12 see the difference between these two ships? It's very, very slight. Can you see it? The smoke. The smoke. Oh, the smoke's different, yes, but that's not particular yet. That's good. Can you see the difference? The, the, um, the, the, windows. the windows. Excellent. There's a slight, good on you. Can you go to see that lady there behind Pastor Malcolm? You can have a chocolate for that. The windows. Some engineer or somebody from the White Star Line or from the shipbuilders uh, sailed on the Olympic and decided that it would be a good idea. See the windows there? It would be a good idea to actually cover in that A-class deck for the sea spray. So kids, if you want to circle that difference on there, they decided that from the Olympus, sailing on the Olympus, they were going to get wet and they were going to get cold. So they decided to cover in those windows on, or cover them in with, with, um, with windows and with a, with a side to keep the weather out. So the Titanic, the title of my message, and kids, here is the, um, here's the majority of the answers on your worksheet coming up. Okay, the title of my message, and I want to try and connect the two together. Hopefully I can do that for you. The Titanic and the presence of God. Well, here's my main point. People concerned with the Titanic were proud. There were so many possessions that were lost at the bottom of the sea. You can't take it with you. The only thing that you can take with you 
is your spirit, you enter into the presence of God. So I want to talk to you today particularly about practicing the presence of God and finding ourselves in the presence of God where the anointing can come through. The anointing, and, and I've, had a, I've got a definition for the anointing. The anointing is in the presence of the power of God, in the presence of God to do the will of God. Yeah. Healing, miracles, words of knowledge. That's where I want to go today. So, The unsinkable ship, the proud unsinkable ship. You know, Proverbs 16.9 says, and this is in the Bible in basic English, says a man may make designs. Think of all the designs and plans by the engineers for the Titanic. A man may make designs for his way, but the Lord is the guide of his steps. Again, James 4, 6 to 8 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble or the meek. Now, kids with your worksheets, if you see a word underlined, it's possibly on your sheet, on the crossword or one of the, the missing words for the verses. So submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you, his presence. The unsinkable ship, the proud designed watertight compartments with electric doors. Proverbs 21.2, all a man's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs the heart. Psalm 14.1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Proverbs 16.18, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Now I'm going to come back, kids, I'm going to come back to this slide right at the end for you. So the Titanic and the presence of God, man makes designs, but the Lord is the guide for his steps and draw near to God and he will draw near to you. This is, there was many news articles all over the world, but this newspaper, interestingly enough, was called the New Ark Advocate. Titanic definitely wasn't the New Ark. But there's varying numbers through different articles, and, and this one says that there were 1,341 lives lost. There was 868 survivors. And that other little piece with the circle around it says that there was untold wealth on that ship. They couldn't, there was so much that they couldn't count it, and it all ended up at the bottom of the ocean about two miles down. Let's pray. Father God, we just come to you, Lord, as we come around your word today. Lord, I just thank you for um, a safe trip and, and wonderful holiday. And Lord, as we come around your word this morning, I pray that you would just help me share, Lord, the, the message that you've given me, the heart that you've given me, Lord, to just seek out your presence, not anything that's false or fake, Lord God, through your Holy Spirit, but that which is real, Lord, that which we can uh, take with us, Father God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the Bible says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt. Yeah. The Titanic's pretty rusty about now. Yeah. What can we store up in heaven? What treasure can we store up in heaven? About the only thing that we can store up is having that experience in the presence of God. Because for eternity, we're going to spend time in the presence of God. It's the only thing, I believe, maybe there's something else that you can think of, but it's the only thing that I believe that we could store up 
as a treasure in heaven, getting used to getting to know the presence of God because it's only just a taste of what we're going to experience in eternity. It's the only thing. Proverbs 16.9 from the NIV says, In his heart man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. And again, in the, the Bible in basic English says, A man may make designs for his ways, but the Lord is the guide of his steps. You know, when we were in there, I, I remembered a time here in Gladstone. Actually, Michelle, it was at the Pines where you used to live. We had a youth night at the Pines. We had um, short court tennis and a swim. And I remember taking a girlfriend. It wasn't my wife at the time. I remember taking a girlfriend there. And at night, at the end of the night, I was standing, leaning up against my car. I had my arms around her. And I looked up in the sky and I said, you know, God, I don't need you anymore. I've got a car. I've got a job. And I've got a girlfriend. Pride. Guess what happened? One by one, he started taking those things off me. I was crippled with arthritis. Thank God he healed me 12 months later. I almost lost my apprenticeship because I was so sick or, or immobile. Somebody crashed into my car and it was a HQ. And you can imagine, it was only a little dent, but it was like that was the pride of my life, that car. My girlfriend decided that as a cripple, I wasn't any good, so she took off. So all the things that I held up to God in pride said, God, I don't need you. All those things were taken away from me. I don't know who it was, whether it was a crew member or the captain or the engineers that built that ship, but it was said many times that not even God himself could sink the Titanic. You know, as a pleasure craft, they took away all the lifeboats. Well, they didn't take them away. They just didn't put them on. There was not enough lifeboats on the Titanic. Why? Because she, she couldn't sink. God himself couldn't sink it. So let's fill that space up with deck chairs so that people can enjoy the luxury of the cruise and the view. You know, and, and even here, with the benefit of the example of Titanic, I, don't, I found this on the net, this is a quote, and I really want to hone in on this one. The benefit of the example of the Titanic, nobody would be so bold or foolhardy, foolhardy as to claim that their creation, however magnificent, might be indestructible. That's why when, you know, planes go down, whatever, people go, how did that happen? How can that happen? And... You know, the unshakable belief in the magnificence of our own works. I want to say to you today, no matter what our own works are with our own hands, with our own energy, with our own time, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot and do not corrupt. The only thing that I can think of is being in the presence of God. We can practice the presence of God here on this earth. You know, somebody said to me recently, and this is, this is what God spoke to me in that museum. Somebody said to me recently, I don't need God. I've created a brand new life for myself. I don't need God and I don't need you to tell me about God. Very clearly, as we were walking around this museum, those words came back to me, the words that I'd said and what happened to me. And those words that that person spoke to me, and I felt the voice of the Lord say very clearly, and those plans too will end 
in destruction. Whatever plans, whatever the works of our hand, whatever our own creation is, especially when it's done or presented with pride, God, God honours the humble. He opposes the proud and he honours the humble. There was untold wealth sunk at the bottom of the sea. You can't take it with you. Everybody's probably heard that saying. You can't take it with you when you go. What can you take with you? There's two things that you can take with you, I believe. The human spirit, that part of us that's created in the image of God, and also the presence of God, experiencing the presence of God. We can't take the presence of God with us. What I'm saying is we can begin to enter into the presence of God here on this earth. Many passengers were starting a brand new life, first class, middle class, lower class. They all had one thing in common, everything that they could carry, gold, silver, heirlooms, small furniture, expensive china, clothing, everything ended up two miles under the surface of the sea, except that which floated out and the clothes on the survivor's back. That's all that survived. What can you take with you? Your spirit and the presence of God. You know, the same as the, as the Titanic. As I said, I was a little bit disappointed that everything that we saw in that museum was just like or, or it was the same. But then I realised it was you know, more a memorial to the people of Southampton where we were, more a memorial to that, the loss for that city. And although I didn't expect to see too many original pieces from the Titanic, I felt a little bit disappointed and somewhat almost ripped off that what I was seeing was the same as the, the Titanic, stripped out of the Olympic when it was retired, but it didn't actually come from the Titanic. I almost felt insulted by the note by the washstand, as I showed before, which read, this one is from a Portuguese ship in 1910, and it was just like the washstand on the Titanic. I felt very ripped off with that one. Because we've gone to different museums and seen, you know, lots of different relics and ships, and we saw in another place in Portsmouth in the UK, we went to another, um, oops, I'm going the wrong way, we went to another museum. I'm really going the wrong way now. We went to another museum which held the 16th century warship, the Mary Rose. Now, that's been sitting at the bottom of the ocean since 1545, was raised in 1982. It's the whole complete side of this wooden ship. All the, all the memorabilia, everything from it, shoes, hats, ties, belts, everything, was brought up and it was all preserved under the mud. That's why this uh, half of this boat is in such good condition. So we saw this one as well. We also saw Lord Nelson's boat, the Victory, while we were there in that same area. So as for the Titanic, it was like the same as, but it wasn't the actual thing. You know, thinking about the presence of God, sometimes we can, we can think that we're experiencing something that's the same as the presence of God, but quite often, and maybe, and I ask you the question, is it just a feeling or is it really the presence of God? What we call the presence of God, is that the presence of God or is it something that's the same as or just like the presence of God? Here's my four observations from the Titanic. 
It was an unsinkable ship. It was untold wealth that sunk at the bottom. Now, kids notice that word there with the underline under it. Untold wealth sunk at the bottom of the sea. Most exhibits at Southampton were the same as, and they, but they weren't the same, uh, they weren't the actual exhibits from the Titanic. And number four, it was a show-off ship. It really was a show-off ship. It was another line, Cunard, they had two ships, uh, the Lusitania and the Maritania, and those ships had four funnels. These ships were built to be bigger and bolder and more luxurious than Cunard ships, and Cunard ships were able to travel at 24 knots doing the transatlantic crossing. When the Titanic hit the iceberg in the dark, they were going full steam ahead. They had had over the past three or four days no less than 30 warnings from different ships about icebergs in the area, to which they replied the simple thanks and, you know, we haven't seen any, they won't bother us. So in the icy dark waters, this ship was steaming at 22 and a half knots. And the reply had come that day from the captain that we are making new speed today. So it was a show-off ship. It was to compete for the trade of immigrants across the transatlantic, particularly from Europe into America, and also from businessmen. It was a show-off ship because it was at near maximum speed just before it hit the iceberg. A show-off ship. What do we do with the presence of God you know, is it just... And this funnel, the, the back one, you can see there's no smoke coming out of that. This is an actual picture. There's a lot of drawings and paintings that have smoke coming out of all four. The only use for this funnel was that it vented steam and hot air out of the galley, out of the kitchen. That was the only use for this fourth, fourth funnel, just to look like a bigger ship. You know, I've got the statistics here. The boilers, there was only three boiler houses which needed uh, three funnels. Three boiler rooms, 29 boilers, 162 fireboxes, 163 firemen on the ship who fed the coal into the furnace, 73 trimmers who brought the coal to them and made sure it was balanced right in the ship so it wouldn't tip over. In all, only needing three funnels, the fourth looked impressive and was just to compete in prestige with the other shipping line whose ships were faster. Now the question again, what can you take with you when you go? What can you take with you when you go? So the connection again I want to make is that everything these people had stored up for their lives, the sum total of their lives was on this ship and it is all, most of it, well some of it is still at the bottom of the ocean, but everything that that, was, uh, that designated their lives and their achievements went to the bottom of the sea. They couldn't take it with them. You know, firstly, the presence of God, God is a spirit. We are created in the image of God. Secondly, the presence of God, we are created for fellowship with God in his presence. And thirdly, it's the anointing that comes through his presence that breaks the yoke of bondage, slavery, habits, sickness, all these things. John 4, 24, 
God is a spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. There's that word again, truth, James, again. As a spirit, God knows when we're faking it. God knows when we're trying to make the presence of God happen. God knows when we're trying to do works with our hands or with our mind to bring about the presence of God. You know, Jesus said, unless you come to me with a childlike faith, just as these children, and that's, I believe, one of the keys to entering into the presence of God. It's nothing we can do with our hands, nothing we can devise with our mind. If we get the songs right or we tweak the sound right, nothing that we can do with our hands, with our human effort, can ever bring the presence of God. All it is is being, you could say, an empty funnel in a good way, open to allow the presence of God, His Holy Spirit, to come into our life and to direct our lives to obey Him. You know, in Old Testament thought, it was thought that man was a two-part being, body and soul. The soul was thought to be located in the area of the stomach. Funny that, I reckon that was a man that wrote that. (laughs) Jewish scholars, those guys, was located, the soul was thought to be located in the area of the stomach. It was the deep seat of human emotion, the part of us that commits our own will to either obeying or disobeying the Word of God or disobeying the precepts of God. Paul comes along, well, Jesus came along and he said, when I go, I will send the Holy Spirit, wait in Jerusalem. So in New Testament thought, and particularly at the hand of Paul, it was thought that we are not just a two-part being, but we are a three-part being, body, soul, and spirit, because it was thought that how could the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, dwell in the same place as the sinful nature, unless... And that was why there was a, like a separating division in the soul between soul and spirit. You know, the soul, the mind, the will, the emotions, if they're bad or if they're um, unpleasing to God, how can the Spirit of God dwell in that place? There must be another, another part of us. And it was thought that the human spirit was roughly located and similar to the heart. That's why sometimes we talk about our heart or, or our spirit as the same thing. And it was, it was more the logic of how could the Holy Spirit indwell a place that, you know, had the old sinful nature in it. It's located near and similar to the blood-giving, life-sustaining pump that we call our heart and can only be influenced by the soul, the will, the mind, and the emotions It can be surrendered to the Spirit of God to be recreated unto eternal life. Or with no or little effort, our default setting is that we are enslaved to the master of rebellion and born into sin from the time of Adam. We remain, unless we allow our spirit to be recreated by the Spirit of God, we remain separated from God for eternity. Paul describes a war within the human spirit in Romans chapter 7 and verse 8. You know, the Greek word for the sinful nature or the human nature is the word sarx, S-A-R-X. 
The Greek word for spirit is pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A. I think I got that right. And Paul talks about, particularly in Romans 7 and Romans 8, Paul talks about it's like backwards and forwards, this war against the spirit and the flesh. The spirit and the flesh. And quite often in Romans 7 and 8, in also Galatians chapter 3 to 5, Paul uses this phrase, kata sarx or kata pneuma. The word kata in the Greek means according to, controlled by, walk in step with. And so our human spirit can either be controlled by the Spirit of God or controlled by the flesh. We can live according to the Spirit with our spirit or we can live according to the sinful nature. Such is the war in our own lives, in our own spirit, for control by our mind, our will, and our emotions that the enemy can affect and come and persuade us. And so the good news is that the, sorry, the, the human spirit that is controlled and given over and surrendered to the Spirit of God, when we are born again, when we become Christians, when we become followers of Christ. You know, the Bible says Jesus stands at the door. He who opens, he will come and enter with him and sup with him. Does the physical Jesus live in my body? The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit comes, and that's what Jesus was talking about. I will send my Spirit, the Comforter, the Advocate, and he will show you all things that I have taught you about the Father. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells within our spirit when we open ourselves up to Him. Are we practicing, though, the presence of God? There was a book many years ago, and I came across this picture. Oops, sorry, the wrong way again. Oh, dear. Sorry. There it is. The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. And I, I thought of this, you know, the thing that we can take with us, are we practicing the presence of God? Are we opening ourselves to the presence of God? Or are we just saved and going to heaven and we're all right, thanks, mate? Are we practicing the presence? Because God has so much or so many plans and so many desires for your life that you wouldn't just get to heaven by your fingernails or by the skin of the teeth or, or by the, the skin on your fingers. But he would, his plan and his desire for your life is that as you practice his presence, as you open yourself to his precious Holy Spirit, the leading and the guiding of his spirit, that he would be able to affect other people around you. Words of knowledge, healing, miracles. Or are we just keeping that to ourselves? I ask the question, the presence of God Exodus 33:15 Then Moses said to him, "If your presence, Lord, does not go with us, do not send us up from here." God was a bit upset with the children of Israel because while Moses was receiving the 10 commandments, they had no visible leader. They decided to talk to Aaron and they made a golden calf. They made a god that was just like the ones that they served in Egypt. It was like we haven't got Moses and we haven't got the voice of God through Moses, so we're going to make something that's just like the, the God that we know, the God that we're following, we're just like the gods that we served in Egypt. And so God had had enough and he said to Moses, 
I stop here. You go into Canaan, you go into this land, but I, my presence stays here. Moses pleaded with God, unless your presence goes from here, uh, with us from here, we will not go. He pleaded with God, please God, without your presence we are nothing. James 4, 6 to 8, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. When we pray, do we seek his will or our will? Do we seek, and John Bevere in this wonderful book, Drawing Near, says, do we seek his hand or do we seek his face? Do we seek the hand of God for what he can do? Or do we seek the face of God for who he is? Another wonderful book, and I haven't taken any of this from these, but another wonderful book, The God Chasers by Tommy Tanney, all about the presence of God. Anyway, I'm not selling them. I didn't write them. But, you know, we can have conversation of being in the presence of God every day, pretty much in my adult life conversational prayer. I don't just come to a time of prayer, kneel beside my bed, put my hands together and close my eyes. I talk to God all the time about my work, my problem. I spend time, or I spend time with God. I wouldn't say that's being in the presence of God. Maybe it is. But, you know, you, you know when the presence of God draws you to a place of just come aside, come aside into my presence, come aside into my presence. And so, you know, he is closer than a brother. He is my friend indeed. You know, sometimes we cry out, oh God, if we could just get more of you. We've got the fullness of God in our lives, in our spirit through the Holy Spirit when he came and indwelt us. The point is, God wants more of you. We can't get any more of God he wants more of us. He wants us to open, him, open ourselves up to his presence, to his leading, and to his guiding. God wants more of you, and he wants more of I, of me, sorry. We can't manipulate or control God's presence by the words we say, the songs we sing, the works we do the works of our hands. He is God and he just wants every thought and desire and plan that you have to honour him. Is the presence of God real or is it just a feeling? We can't make God's presence fall. We can only be an empty funnel and receive, not belch out steam and smoke and hot air with the illusion of smoke and mirrors. The presence of God is a doorway to his anointing. The presence of God is a doorway to his anointing. I'm just going to put up for the kids again that last um, slide with most of the answers on it. This one here. And my third point is the anointing. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke. The power of God through the presence of God to carry out the will of God. Of God. Isaiah 10:27 says, "And the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing." Now thinking about this word yoke or the idea, on a, in a positive sense, yoke signifies being bound to a master to learn from them. Think of the young bullock learning to plow yoke to the old bullock 
being taught how to plow, being taught how to be in submission to the farmer. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 to 30, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Take upon me my yoke, for it is e- my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In the negative sense, a yoke is something that binds you to slavery. It is something that binds you to uh, an evil taskmaster. We can be bound to sin, sickness, pride, possessions, possessions on the Titanic, wealth, addictions, or we can be bound to habits. Luke 4, 18 and 19, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. See, sometimes we have this feeling that we're in the presence of God. Is it something that the musicians can manufacture to make the presence of God come when we enter into this service? If we kneel down and put our hands together at home and shut our eyes and pray the right way, can we make the presence of God come? Or is it particularly the individual that knows the presence of God when they come into this church? Is it particularly the individual who's spent time with God that you know, goes out to a place and just experiences the presence of God. I want to say, is it real or fake? Just like that, the memorabilia in that, in that museum. Is it something that's just like or similar to, or is it really the presence of God? If it really is the presence of God and not just a feeling, there will come an anointing that God can speak direction he often speaks to, to, to myself things that I really don't want to hear. You've neglected this, you need to do that. Or sometimes it's things that are totally impossible without the hand of God, something that I can't achieve, God will speak to me about. God, who is a spirit, has created your spirit in his image to have fellowship and communion, that's common union with him. He desires you to walk and live in His presence according to His Holy Spirit, and there comes the anointing that breaks the yoke of slavery. Out of the reality of His presence, not hot air, steam, and smoke, there comes an anointing for healing, miracles, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, and prophecy. I am convinced that it is here, within the anointing, within the presence of God, that the the gifts of the Spirit operate. The gifts of the Spirit operate within the anointing that comes in the presence of God. Philippians 2.13, it says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. The New Jerusalem Bible says, It's God who works in you to will and to act or to gives you the intention and the powers to act. What's the anointing of God? The power of God through the presence of God to carry out the will of God. Isaiah 66, 2, This is the one I esteem or make my dwelling with, he who is humble and contrite in spirit, he who trembles at my word.
Can I just have Kate come up to the, um, the keyboard, please? You know, last year, late last year, I just felt that I wanted to, I just felt this drawing. I wanted to go and spend time in the presence of God. Quite often, particularly for the last years, I've, I've been going to spend time with God out in the bush or the beach or by a creek with a little fire or on a hill, on a mountain. And quite often, my whole time out there is asking God, God, please fix this. God, I've got this problem. God, you know what my problem is. I've got many. This is one of them. I brought it back from Europe. But God, you know, instead of seeking God's hand, that night I went down to Tanham. I walked all the way from Tanham Beach up to Canoe Point along the beach. took me a couple of hours, but God really spoke to me. I didn't just feel his presence. I knew his anointing, and I saw things that that I'd never seen before. As I walked and I walked and I, and I just declared, Lord, I'm not here with a problem. I'm not here for you to fix anything. I'm just here to seek your face. I'm here to seek your presence, Lord God. And I just felt this overwhelming peace and this love for Jesus. Words of hymns kept coming back from my childhood. And I was just experiencing this wonderful time. I'd all but forgotten the conversation that I'd had with him when along come a ghost crab and jumped from the light, the torch that I had, it ran under my foot. And I jumped back. I was worried I was going to crush it. And I thought, those greenies, they'll probably have a go at me. They'll find a dead crab on the beach. And so I jumped back and all of a sudden I realized as I opened my eyes, there were more crabs. There were crabs, ghost crabs everywhere. Everywhere I shone the torch and they were running away from the light. They were running crazy. It was like they were darting. Most of you have seen them and know what I'm talking about. They were darting backwards and forwards in a way to almost confuse me so I didn't know which one to follow. And then every time one would go, I'd chase one. I felt like a little kid. And I want to say that's exactly the times that God speaks to me. That's the times when I feel the presence of God most, when I'm not concerned when I'm thanking God for his creation, when I'm just in that place of just experiencing his awe and his wonder through his creation. And every time one of those little crabs went into the water, it would bury itself. And I felt like a little kid. I felt like I was about, I don't know, 10 or 12. That's how I felt. I'd go up and I would dig my toe under the crab and I'd flick it out. And once it come to the surface, it would just sit there and just all of a sudden it would realize and it would bury itself again. And you know, before that, when I told God that I just was there to seek his face and not his hand, I was there not to find answers to a problem. I just wanted to seek him for who he is, find myself in his presence. I remembered the times, particularly in Western Australia, when we were pastoring, I'd go down to the beach and God would show me just out of natural stuff, these messages, these lifelong, uh, uh, lifelong instructions, I suppose, and things out of just natural stuff. And I almost felt guilty. I said to the Lord, Lord, just like you showed me that cool stuff on the beach over in Carnarvon in WA, how about tonight you just show me this cool stuff? I'd forgot all about that request. I almost felt guilty because I wasn't there to seek God's hand. I was there to seek his face. And as these crabs buried themselves and I would dig them out, 
I walked away right up to Canoe Point, up to the, the, um, the Boyne River, and the crabs got bigger and the crabs got more. And as a kid, I thought, wow, I can have some more fun. There's more crabs to play with. And as I walked back, I suddenly thought, I, I saw the moon coming up on, uh, over the beach. And all of a sudden, God spoke to me. He showed me some cool stuff on the beach that night. He said, you know, those crabs, they run from the light. He said, I want you to be somebody that shines the light. And although people would run from the light, although people would run and try to confuse others or be confused themselves, he said, I want you to be one that would dig them up, dig them up to the surface, dig up those problems and those things. Not every little tiny thing that, you know, that has gone wrong, but the reason that they buried themselves away from the light. He said, I want you to be one to shine the light I want you to be one that would be able to help people bring those problems to the surface so that I can deal with them, so that I can shine my light in their lives and on their problems so that they would experience the presence of God for themselves. That they would not only just experience the presence of God for themselves, but they would be in that place where my anointing can set the captives free, can break chains, sin, sickness, you know, all these things, words that have been spoken over their lives time and time again, things, chains, yokes that would hold them back. I want you to be one to shine my light, to be able to help them dig up those things, to shine my light on them so that they might be set free and to my presence and they would also be ones who would bring my anointing on other people who are under that yoke of slavery. Let's bow our heads and shut our eyes, please. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, I ask that today, Lord, that through my voice, through these stories, through my experience, Lord, you would just come in your presence right now, Father God. Lord, I ask that as we just respond today to you, that, Father, these things, these areas, these yokes that have held us back and held us down, there would come your anointing through your presence this morning, Lord, to break those things off our lives. And, Father, I just pray and I ask you, Lord, that, Father, today as we just respond to you, open our hearts and our lives and our spirit to you, that, Lord, it would, it would be your presence that would fall. It would be your anointing that would break the yoke. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, as every head is bowed and as every eye is closed, I've been talking today about the human spirit that God created in His image, that He wants to come with His precious Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God, wants to regenerate and recreate your life. I want to ask you this morning, while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, is there somebody here today, you, you say, I'm living in the old sinful nature. My life is not pleasing to me or let alone God. Is there someone today you want to say, I would like to accept Jesus into my life through his precious Holy Spirit.